We'll hope Markham, let's get our Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, today, we are concluding our Church Together series on these values that are important to us as the body of Christ. And though we've been um, set apart from each other and not together here, it's been good to be able to reorient ourselves around these same valued truths that we hold dear, that define who we are as the people of God and how we can be faithful to God's mission. I've recently been thinking about my uh, uh, my youth, my younger years, and uh, like many people when I was younger, discipline didn't come easily to me, uh, except for the things that I cared about, uh, those things I was willing to be disciplined about. I cared about friends and their opinion of me. I cared about sports. Uh, but in my teen years, um, I wish that I can't spent more time caring about my soul and being disciplined with things that would be good uh, for my inner being. It wasn't really until my later years of high school and university that I started recognizing my neediness on a soul level and how God was the only one who was going to be able to fulfill what I thought sports or friends could uh, really accomplish in my life. And when I found that neediness, discipline began to follow. And um, this was the Bible that I used when I uh, was in my later uh, my years of university. And uh, I was scrolling through it the other day and just noticed how um, disciplined I was to be able to actually read this and how well marked up the notes that I wrote in it. And as I was scanning through, I uh, turned to the book of Proverbs, and I found Proverbs 23, uh, verse 12. And beside Proverbs 23, verse 12, I wrote, Summer 2009, this is your goal. And I apparently needed this as a young person. Proverbs 23, verse 12 said, Apply your hearts to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. The biggest thing that I was missing in my younger years when I wasn't disciplining myself was the discipline of God's word. But when I began disciplining myself to God's word, I saw what comes when you commit yourself to the things that God promises to bless. In the book of Jeremiah, it says, uh, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me the joy and delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Uh, the scripture says, Blessed is the man who tr- trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. And when I found that I trusted in God's word and delighted in God's word, it became a joy to me and fulfilled all I needed on a soul level. Today, as we consider our series Church Together, we're going to be looking at the non-negotiable priority that we need in our lives as a church and individually. That non-negotiable starts in the pulpit, but it also needs to bleed through every heart in every pew in the church. It's the priority of the gospel. In preaching and in abiding in our individual lives. Today, Colossians 3 verse 16 is going to show us the necessity of prioritizing the gospel. We're going to learn the principle of prioritizing the gospel. Why do we need to do it? The practice 
for prioritizing the gospel. How can we do this? And the purpose of prioritizing the gospel. What's the reason behind all this? One verse today. So with your copy of scripture in front of you, let's read this together. Colossians 3.16. This is God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. This is non-negotiable. We need to prioritize the gospel. So what's the principle behind this? Prioritizing the gospel. How did Paul get from Colossians 1.1 to Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Prioritize the gospel. Before I express and really um, define what this principle is, I want to help you understand how we got to Colossians 3.16 from Colossians 1.1. And we can do that by understanding what Paul means by the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is the word about Christ. It's the gospel. Good news of great joy for all people because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has accomplished. Paul explains the detail of this gospel in, uh, in poetic form from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. And I want to read this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is preeminent, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This poetic explanation of the gospel is really in two forms, two parts. First, it's the supremacy of Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, and the supremacy of Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. Uh, Firstborn doesn't mean first one born. Firstborn means first in rank. Jesus ranks first over all things. He's first in rank because he's the firstborn of all creation. He created all things. He's firstborn, first in rank because he's the firstborn from the dead. He rose from the dead. All things in the world are broken, yet Jesus Christ came to the earth, suffered the brokenness of the world, suffered and bore our sin and shame on the cross, and now because he suffered the pains of sin, yet overcame it in his resurrection, he will make all things new as his own body was made new. And he can make you new. This is the gospel. By faith in the gospel, We are qualified to receive the inheritance of eternal life. By faith in the gospel, we are delivered out of the darkness of this world that we live in and made citizens of the invisible kingdom of Christ. And one day that invisible kingdom will be a global kingdom and Christ's throne will be here on earth. We are forgiven of the guilt in our sin 
and we are redeemed and reconciled back into a relationship with a creator, the heavenly father. This is the word of Christ. This is the gospel. We must prioritize the gospel. Through the gospel, our significance, our dignity, our peace, and our hope are secured. And it's in the gospel alone that these things can be truly and fully found. We must prioritize the gospel. This is the message we must allow to dwell in us richly. Problem was, Paul got from Colossians 1 to Colossians 3 to say, let this word of Christ dwell in you richly because they weren't letting it dwell in them richly. In Colossians chapter 2 is Paul's attempt to correct their, their skewed thinking. See, a perverted gospel masquerading as true wisdom that was just shallow philosophy had creeped into the culture of their church, had deceived them from believing the true message of Jesus, and had robbed their joy and their maturity in the Lord. Paul wrote to them, let the word of Christ dwell in them richly because they had allowed outside influences to come in. Here's the principle. Why do we need to prioritize the gospel? Because influence is inevitable. And if we are not prioritizing the gospel's influence in our lives, inevitably something else will. And you may not realize that you're being robbed of the joy that Christ has earned for you. What is influencing you? A technology has done tremendous good for humanity. We've seen in this benefit of this past year how technology has enabled unprecedented collaboration to be able to develop life-saving vaccines. Technology has been able to help us to find renewable and sustainable energy resources. Technology is enabling uh, developing countries and people in rural areas to find access to mobile banking for financial security. Technology is good. These things technology is doing is good, but I guess technology itself isn't good or bad. Technology is kind of benign. Technology is what people make out of it. And people themselves, people are sinful. When sinful people get their hands on technology, it can have good influence, but it can also, by the common grace of God, but it can also have damaging influence because of the crooked hearts of man. Damaging influence that deceives our faith and robs us of our treasure of the joy of Christ. And technology is one of the things that is influencing our minds and our hearts more than anything else today. How is the constant access to technology influencing you? You may have a device close to you in your pocket every moment, but is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Pastor Timothy Keller describes technology's influence in our culture like this. He says, Technology conveys the narratives and beliefs of our secular society regarding identity, freedom, happiness, 
and relativism in an immersive way far beyond what TV, radio, or movies ever could. And then he looks internally at the church and says this, Our traditional models of biblical and spiritual formation through just a few hours of public worship time and a community group are insufficient for countering the impact of 24-7 digital technology throughout the week. What are you allowing to influence you? Maybe it's that podcaster that you listen to for life lessons. Maybe it's that social media page with that uh, trend-setting fashion that you're willing to put your credit card down for any time a new season comes along. Uh, Maybe it's that pop star whose lyrics that you've memorized that give you a sense of hope when you feel lonely. Maybe it's that primetime cable news personality that you listen to every day that gives you this sense of, like, rightness for your way that you look at the world. Maybe it's that TV series or that movie that you watch night in, night out. Maybe it's that Discord channel or that gaming community that you're logged into, even if it's 4 a.m., Influence is inevitable. And if the gospel is not prioritized, these things will inevitably eclipse the gospel and cause the light of its joy to fade. And we can allow ourselves to be influenced in this way. I can allow myself to be influenced in this way. When the the moon eclipses over the sun it might look like the moon is just as big and just as large as the sun, but in fact, we know it's only a fraction of the size and can never meet the light or the beauty of the sun actually is. And these other things that you're allowing to influence you, that you're, you're allowing to eclipse over the beauty of the gospel, might seem great, might seem grand, might seem glorious, might give you that sense of dignity and significance and hope and peace that your soul craves for. But it can never truly meet the beauty of what you can have in the good news of the great joy of Jesus Christ. Prioritize the gospel because influence is inevitable. And if we don't put Christ and his word first, what we can have in him can be robbed. So, you're in, all right? You get it. You understand the principle of this. You want to prioritize it. How do you put it into practice? What can you actually do? The principle is influence is inevitable. The practice, prioritizing the gospel means that we need to choose self-control. This is the practice of prioritizing the gospel. Choose self-control. Self-control takes three things. It takes orderly habits from a good heart with the help of others. Habits, heart, help. Let's think about habits first. Orderly habits. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Orderly habits are Practices that allow us to renew our mind in the message of the word of Christ and the gospel. Priority, focus on the mind. 
Colossians 3.1 says that we should set our minds on the things above, not the things that are on earth. Colossians 3.10 says that we should put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. Think about the things that you think about. What do you normally think about? What are you feeling when you think about those things? So my family's on this Winnie the Pooh kick recently. And every creature in the 100-acre wood is generally thinking about a different thing and thinking about that thing in a different way. Pooh Bear is thinking about honey and is usually just like relaxed and thinking about it in a relaxed way and very nonchalant. A piglet is usually thinking about danger and he's always anxious and stuttering. Rabbit is usually thinking about his gardening and he's always worried and, and, and anxious. Eeyore, Eeyore's Eeyore. Everything is down and you're always thinking about how things are going to be. Think about the things that you think about and the way that you think about the things that you think about. Are you fearful? Are you worried? Are you hopeful? Are you focused on work, focused on your kids, focused on your diet, focused on your body image? If we are going to be able to have orderly habits, it takes self-control because it starts with our mind. Set your mind on the things that are above. Renew in knowledge. And in order to do that, we need to recognize that our minds operate like a residence. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A dwelling, dwelling is your primary place of residence. Is the gospel your primary place, excuse me, the primary resident in your mind or does something else occupy your thoughts rent free? If you're going to have orderly habits but you don't right now, you can start to develop orderly habits by doing three things. You can audit your time. You can rearrange your habits, and then you can assign leisure in its right place. We want orderly habits. We need to know where our time is going. Think of your time like your money. What would an audit of your time look like this past week? What would get the bulk of your time? What would get the least of your time? What would get your leftovers? What would you procrastinate doing? Usually, the things with top time have top priorities. Auditing auditing your time might sound intimidating, but it's the only way you're going to be able to learn to have habits. And when you learn to see how you spend your time, then you can rearrange your habits and prioritize those things that renew your mind in the truth of the gospel. Now, renewing your mind in gospel truths, abiding in God's word in prayer, uh, listening to the preaching of God's word weekly, participating in fellowship regularly, these things may not get the bulk of your time, but do they get the best of your time? Right now in my family, my wife and I, uh, we do our devotions together. And with kids uh, our age, uh, the age that they are, uh, abiding doesn't get the bulk of our time, but we try to give it the best of our time. So we work hard to be able to 
um, get all of our chores done um, as soon as our kids are to bed. So we will make dinner and try and clean up as we go, put our kids to bed, do a few tidying things, and then there's other things to do. The kids might be to bed if we're lucky by 8.30, between 8 and 8.30. There are lots of other things to do. But the first thing we do after the last chore is done is abide in God's word and pray together. So we might have to uh, look at our finances. We might have to clean. We might have to do other things. We might need to call people. But the first thing we do, the best of our time goes there. And we didn't have this priority at first, but we had to audit our time, and that allowed us to rearrange our habits. And when you do that, you can be able to prioritize the gospel. And it's good to have rest, but do, are you putting rest and leisure in the right place? Orderly habits take auditing your time, rearranging your habits, and then assigning leisure. Leisure looks different for different people in different places of times of life. But I found that if I don't assign leisure in the right place, it will easily overcome the priority of abiding in God's word and prioritizing the gospel. Your orderly habits will enable you to prioritize the gospel. Now, some people might hear order and habits and rules and might think it sounds a little legalistic, but orderly habits can only work when it's motivated from a good heart, a pure heart. Self-control takes orderly habits from a good heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A good heart makes sure that the gospel is primary residence in their mind and furnishes their mind with the gospel richly. Richly because it believes that the gospel is priceless. That who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us is the greatest gift that we could ever find and ever receive. That it is good news of great joy. That in Christ, I do have my significance. I am secure in my dignity. I can have peace. I do have hope because I see the treasure of the gospel. It's irreplaceable. It's priceless. It's cherished. I will prioritize this. I will adopt habits for this. Just like when I was a teen, I prioritized friends. I prioritized rugby because I thought those things would give me the most joy. What you treasure most, you will prioritize most. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 119 verse 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. You treasure God's word more than money. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Reading God's word, prioritizing the gospel, listening to God's word preached, participating in fellowship, these things that renew our mind in the treasure of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, these things, these things are the way that we enter into relationship with God. When we read God's word, we're not just reading pages off of a book. We are attending to the voice of our creator. 
when we respond to him in prayer, we are not merely speaking empty words into the air. We are speaking back to the one whose ear is open to us, whose hands formed us, whose heart loved us. A good heart treasures God's word because we know that through the gospel we have the Lord. Your habits will flow from the heart of whatever you desire. What do you desire? The Lord is jealous for you, Christian. He wants to, you to know him and enjoy him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Lord, or if you have some other things that you're prioritizing or you're putting before Christ, or if you've never realized that you can have a relationship with the Lord or that your dignity and significance and peace and hope that these are things that you could find from God, Know that the Lord is jealous for his own. He doesn't want to share you with things that are counterfeit. He wants you to have the authentic and full joy that comes from relationship in him. This is why Jesus came from heaven to earth. That you can know him. That he would die in your place. And you could have true abundant life in him. Count all things as loss and you will find the true worth of your heart, of your soul in Christ. Prioritizing the gospel means choosing self-control. That takes orderly habits, a good heart, and it takes the help of others. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That you there isn't a singular you, it's a plural you. See, prioritizing the gospel is an individual choice of self-control, but it's a corporate responsibility. It's the responsibility of the entire church to help the entire church to prioritize the gospel. So maybe you have a good heart, but you don't know what habits to establish. Ask for help. Maybe you have the right heart and you know the good habits, but you struggle to be consistent Ask for help. When we prioritize the gospel together and we actually put it into practice in self-control, we will naturally see the purpose unfold itself. So what is that purpose? The principle is that an influence is inevitable. The practice is choosing self-control. The purpose is the purpose of letting the word of Christ dwell in us ritually is meaningful worship together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. As I've been watching the, I guess, really disappointing unfolding of the last few games of the Leafs and Habs uh, on TV, I'm starting to see some familiar commercials. Uh, and uh, specifically, I've started to see commercials for the Olympics coming up. And Olympics were canceled last year, but apparently they're happening again this year. And I'm actually really looking forward to the Olympics. I love the Olympic times. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Markham native Andre de Grasse run for Canada again. Apparently he's been, been t- doing pretty good. 
Canada doesn't have a men's soccer team in the Olympics, but I'm married to Korean, and the Koreans have a soccer team in the Olympics, so I'm looking forward to cheer for the Korean men's team with my in-laws. Whenever you win, you know in the Olympics that the winner gets to stand at the top of the podium, and his, her anthem gets to be played. When we see our athletes win gold and hear our anthem played, we get to sing along with them. When it's played, we sing with our fellow countrymen. We sing about, in our anthems, our common identity, our common values. And when we see our victor who wears our colors on the top of the podium, we sing with pride and with joy because in this moment when she is a champion, we are all champions. And that's what worship can be like. But that's just a taste of the full course meal of what worship is really like. Because as followers of Jesus, we aren't really just citizens of Canada. We have another home and another country where our citizenship lies. We've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. We are citizens of the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. In Christ, we are becoming a new people, the people that God created us to be. And when the word of Christ, when the gospel is prioritized in our lives individually and as a church, it naturally overflows into worship, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. It naturally overflows itself in song. And when we celebrate When we worship as a church, we worship the victory that has been earned by our champion and our representative, Jesus. That's meaningful worship. This is the purpose of prioritizing the gospel. Meaningful worship does good to one another, and it glorifies God. Look at verse 16 again with me. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Interesting how it says that through teaching, through singing, we can be teaching one another. We can be admonishing one another. Teaching is effectively communicating truth. Admonishing is applying that truth to our daily lives. Now, Paul, the apostle, understood that this was something that he had the responsibility to do. He understood that there were a few people in the church, elders and pastors, who had a unique responsibility to do that. But he knew it wasn't just for a few people in the church. He knew it was for all people in the church. And one way that the church, that you, participate in teaching and admonishing one another is through the songs that we sing together. The songs that we sung today, Living Hope, Battle Belongs, Cornerstone, all talk about who God is, what God has done, and are all contained and singing about the word of Christ, the gospel. I'm thankful for the grace of live stream that allows us to be connected together in our separate spaces. But this passage is one of the reasons that I'm convinced of the importance of being together for worship. One of the reasons I believe that our worship is stunted when we can't be in the same room. Because when we can't sing, we can't together, we can't hear each other. When we can't hear each other, we can't teach and admonish 
one another. But Lord willing, we will again soon. But I would ask you, when we do reopen, when it's 15% or 30%, when it's inside or it's outside, will you prioritize being together to teach and admonish one another? Will it be important to you or will it be optional to you? When we sing songs with our minds in the wisdom of the gospel, it does good to one another. You participate in building one another up so that we become the people that God made us to be in Christ. We grow in maturity. We reinforce the treasure of the gospel. It benefits and does good to each other, but worship is meaningful not just because of the good it does to each other. Worship is meaningful because it glorifies God. We sing with our minds, but we also sing with our hearts. We don't just sing with our lips, but we sing with affection and adoration from the inside of our being. So I wonder, wherever you're watching this service, whenever you're watching this service, were you just watching the worship, or were you participating in worship? Or did you just skip worship altogether? We may not be able to teach and admonish one another. We may not be able to do that good to one another in worship, but we can still sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And we should be. Wherever we are, hearts fully engaged because God is fully with us. Even though we're not together, we can sing with thankfulness in our hearts because God is with us. Even though it's easy to grumble again by the less than favorable news that comes out again, we can still sing with thankfulness from the heart because even in the challenge of this time, God is with us and God is working all things for good. You may feel like you're suffering again but the promise of God's word is that when we share abundantly in God's or in Christ's sufferings, we will share abundantly in his comfort too. So even though so often it may feel like there are tears flowing down my cheeks or I don't have anything more than a quiet voice to sing, I can still sing with thankfulness in my heart. Prioritize the gospel. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Look at what verse 17 says. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. This is our purpose. Meaningful worship. And we will get to this, to be the people that God made us to be when we prioritize the gospel. When we have the discernment to recognize that influences out there, and if the gospel isn't influencing us, something else will. But we will choose self-control to practice orderly habits from a good heart and the help of others so the word of Christ can dwell in us richly. And when it fills us up, it can overflow and fill others up as well and be filled with praise that glorifies God. That's our purpose. But we won't get there unless we first prioritize the gospel. 
Let's pray and ask that God would help us do this. Father, we are, uh, we're fickle people. We can really be tossed to and fro here or there really easily by our own insecurities and anxieties, by the, uh, by the influence and deception of the world that's around us. Lord, help us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Help us to see that we are being influenced whether we recognize it or not. Help us to, to, to hold on to the treasure of the gospel and let it dwell in us richly. Lord God, we look forward to the day that we'll be together again, being able to teach and admonish one another with our song. And until that day, Lord, would we maintain and fight for thankfulness in our hearts. We have reason for thanks because you have rescued us from our sin. Thank you, Lord God. Help us prioritize the gospel in Jesus' name.